Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. everybody. I'm great to see all of you, great to sit with all of you. We never underestimate the importance of sitting together. Um, I don't know how many of you have a regular sitting practice, and if you do, you know how difficult it is to do it by yourself, right? And you say, oh, I'm going to do half an hour meditation today, <laughs> and then uh, something gets in the way. But when we sit together, we can't run away, right? <laughs> we can, but then it'll annoy people. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll just sit here and plan my day. <laughs> I have a good friend of mine who, um, who's a Navy SEAL. He's a former Navy, Navy SEAL. And they go through something called Hell Week in Navy SEALs training. It's really difficult uh, week of training. And um, they start on a Sunday night. And uh, he said on Tuesday night, he was definitely going to quit. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. And he had his whole life planned out. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back with that cute girl that I knew. <laughs> and I'm going to get some kind of job, because this is just horrific. But they, what they have you do is they have you do a lot of team things, you know, like uh, as, as a group. And so the next thing on the, that he had to do was he had to carry this raft. You know, they have to run with this raft on their heads, uh, run on the beach. And so he thought, well, you know, it takes four guys to do it. I can't leave those guys hanging. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in here and, and do that. And then right after I do that, <laughs> I'm going to quit. <laughs> and so he did that. And then he said after that, he kind of got delirious because they don't let him sleep, and he forgot to quit. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully if we meditate together long enough, we just forget to quit and just keep going. Maybe, maybe we'll get somewhere. Um, so welcome to Inside LA Long Beach Sunday Sit. Um, the format of our Sunday sits, we do a half an, hour, half an hour silent meditation, then we move into a little Dharma talk, and then most of the time at the end we have a little group discussion about the topic. Um, it's kind of the format as we go along here. So today uh, I want to talk about another list. Uh, Wendy last week talked about the Four Noble Truths, and today uh, we'd like to discuss um, the six paramis, paramit, paramitas, there's different pronunciations. There's different lists to this list. <laughs> in Theravada, they have a list of ten paramis. In Buddhism, I mean in Tibetan, or Mahayana, they have a list of six and a list of ten, which are a different ten than the Theravada. <laughs> but actually at the core of all of them, is the Tibetan six. <laughs> you could find it's, um, it's really, really the core. And to confuse you a little bit more, but actually to kind of give you an overview of how this fits in with everything, it's important because sometimes we get like, well, where does this fit in? Where, where does everything fit in with the path? And what I really like about Buddhism 
is that there is a beginning, middle, and an end, and there is a path, and this path has been turning out enlightened beings like an assembly line for thousands of years, just one right after another, you know. And so, Sokni Rinpoche likes to say, he says, you know, if you're going to do air travel, it's kind of important to be in a good plane, right? <laughs> if you're going to fly. And he says, you know, you could, you could build your own plane. It might maybe take you a while, and, you know, it might work. <laughs> it might not, but it might work. But he says, one good thing about Buddhism, and, and this is true of a lot of other paths, but it's tried and true. Like, if you follow this, you know, you're going to get to your destination, and it's going to be a safe trip, you know. Just follow, follow this. He said, Buddha already made the plane, and we've been practicing it. It's good to go. Hop on, follow it, and you're, and you're good. So a little bit about how, how this fits in. Uh, Wendy is teaching the Four Noble Truths and went over the Four Noble Truths last week. Um, and the fourth Noble Truth is the Eightfold Path. The first Noble Truth. What's the first Noble Truth? There's suffering. It exists. Right? Suffering mm-hmm. exists. And the second Noble Truth? There's a cause of suffering and it's clinging or attachment, right? And the third noble truth? Thank goodness. <laughs> right? We all love the third noble truth. If Buddha didn't have a third noble truth, oh. <laughs> there's, there's a way out, right? And then the fourth noble truth is the way out, which is the Eightfold Path, um, right? Intention. Right motivation, uh, right view, right action, right livelihood, right speech, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So in Theravada Buddhism, this is emphasized a lot. In Mahayana, Mahayana came after Theravada, and Mahayana looked at the teachings and decided to emphasize a certain aspect of what the Buddha taught. And a certain aspect they wanted to emphasize was for the benefit of all beings. Because they said, you know, if we read everything that Buddha is always talking about for the benefit of all beings, that we're all together in this, and that we're all connected in this, and that we're not in really enlightened until all of us are enlightened, mm-hmm. right? So this is really, really important. It's not like the Theravada Buddhism didn't have that. It just wasn't emphasized as much. And so the concept of this bodhisattva came about. And the bodhisattva is the vow to reach enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. And this is very prevalent in Mahayana. And there's a story of the Buddha. I don't have it exact. I don't know all the details. I can't remember all the details. But it was in several lifetimes before his enlightenment. And he was really actually close in this life to becoming enlightened. But he saw, I don't know if anyone remembers this story, if you fill me in, but he saw some act of kindness. Somebody did something very kind for somebody. And he thought, you know what? I'm definitely not going to reach enlightenment just for, for my own sake. I'm going to reach enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Mm-hmm. And it was said that if he didn't say that, then he would have been enlightened, but for his own sake. And as he's really subtle differences if you become enlightened for your own sake. At least they teach this in Mahayana, where you're enlightened, but 
you're not fully, fully, fully enlightened just yet. You're really close, but there's still a chance that you fall back into delusion or something. And so, but he did make that vow, so then it took him a few more lifetimes to reach the ultimate state of enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. So, in Mahayana, whenever we sit down and meditate, we say we're meditating for the sole purpose of attaining enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. This is really important. And so there's different, different uh, levels of this, this bodhisattva action. So we could, we could have a bodhisattva intention. There's bodhisattva intention and then, and then ultimate uh, bodhisattva would be the uh, realization of bodhicitta, that I absolutely have to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. And what is a bodhisattva? A bodhisattva not only has that intention, but someone who actually comes to full fruition with uh, becoming a bodhisattva means that they can at any time be fully enlightened and, and not need to incarnate anymore into the physical form. They can just kind of rest in their heavenly abode of awesomeness, you know, <laughs> at will. But they choose and they take a vow to continue to incarnating until all beings are freed from suffering. And they will not leave until all beings are freed. They will live in the hell realms for infinity until all beings are freed. And so in Buddhism, there's some very famous uh, bodhisattvas. Probably one of the most famous ones is the Buddha of Compassion, Chenrezig, Avalokiteshvara, or Kuan Yin. Maybe you know people know Kuan Yin in, in, Jap in uh, Japanese, Kuan Yin. And so these Buddhas are incarnating. For example, the Dalai Lama is, is supposedly a, a pure incarnation of the Buddha of Compassion in physical form, here to assist, assist being. So how this fits in with the Bodhisattva is the emphasis, if you're um, in Mahayana tradition, is not on the Eightfold Path so much. The Eightfold Path where the Bodhisattva is the, the six paramitas, if that makes sense. And you'll see as we go through them that the Eightfold Path is embedded in them. But they just choose to kind of emphasize this because these are the qualities to be emphasized as a bodhisattva so as we go through them. So that's kind of how it fits in. Or if you're all confused, that's how it doesn't fit in. <laughs> but all of them, you'll see they're a list of character traits to emphasize so we can, so we can get where we want to go, which is sustainable happiness regardless of external circumstances. right? Mm -hmm. This is the freedom. And, and so the paramitas, they also call the six perfections. And paramitas means perfection. And when it's translated into Tibetan, it means to cross over or to transcend. And it's not to transcend, they say, into a different realm or anything. It's to transcend the mental afflictions. So these are the six perfections. This is how to transcend the, the mental afflictions. So I want to read a little bit, just a couple quotes here about why are we doing such things as 
as you know, transcending these mental afflictions. I think it's important to, to read like what I'm about to read because in Buddhism, there, is a, there, there are the Four Noble Truths and they do revolve around suffering and the cessation of suffering. And because of the Buddhist um, emphasis, again, on non-conceptualization, they don't often like to tell you about the bliss <laughs> that comes. That's kind of like, oh, just experience it. <laughs> but it's also nice to kind of hear it a little bit. So this is from a prominent, I believe he's a Nima Rinpoche, a Tibetan Rinpoche. An effortless compassion can arise for all beings who have not realized their true nature. So limitless is it that, it that if tears could express it, you would cry without end. Not only compassion, but tremendous skillful means can be born when you realize the nature of mind. Skillful means means you know exactly how to help others. Also, you are naturally liberated from all suffering and fear. Then, if you were to speak of the joy and bliss that arise from this realization, it is said by the Buddhas that if you were to gather all the glory, enjoyment, pleasure, and happiness of the world and put it all together, it would not approach one tiny fraction of the bliss that you experience upon realizing the nature of mind. I'm gonna actually print this out and like put it on my, <laughs> before meditation, why am I meditating? Oh yeah. You know, like they used to tell the story of Yogananda and these students of Yogananda said, oh Yogananda, you're so amazing, you're a monk and you know, you don't have sex and all, you took all these vows and so amazing. You gave up all these worldly pleasures and devoted yourself to God. How amazing. And he started laughing, <laughs> laughing, laughing. He says, you're the ones that are sacrificing. <laughs> he said, you're sacrificing limitless bliss for tiny, tiny worldly pleasures. <laughs> for limitless bliss. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> Oops, that's what they keep telling us. <laughs> Let's go eat. <laughs> the six perfection or paramitas are guides for the Mahayana Buddhist practice. They are virtues to be cultivated to strengthen practice and bring one to enlightenment. The six perfections describe the true nature of an enlightened being, which is to say that they are our own true nature. If they don't seem to be our own true nature, it is because the perfections are obscured by our delusion, anger, greed, and fear. So this is our true nature. This is it. This is what we really, really, really are. This is what we really are. This is it. And we're just remembering and because we have forgotten a little bit that we're already love and peace and all these things, it just needs to be cultivated until we remember it. Say so to practice love until we remember this is what you are, right? So we just need to cultivate it. 
And what is beautiful about these practices and about the benefit of all beings, and we're going to go over these generosity, discipline, patience. Maybe we'll get through a few of them today if I stop blabbering about other stuff. <laughs> this is something that becomes a way of being. And I got to sit with these great Zen teachers uh, last weekend. And I just love how he put it. He's put it so beautifully. And he was saying, you know, when, when my wife is coming home, I, I, cook her, I cook her dinner. And when I'm cooking dinner, I'm not just cooking dinner for herself, for her and myself. I'm envisioning that I'm cooking dinner for all the beings everywhere that are hungry. This is, this is who I'm preparing the meal, meal for. And when I'm eating it, I'm not eating it for myself. I'm eating it and I'm visualizing this going out to all beings. May all beings be filled up with this amazing nourishment. May all beings. He says, then when I'm cleaning up after the meal, I'm not just wiping down my countertop, my kitchen sink, washing the kitchen sink. He says, as I'm doing it, I'm visualizing that I'm removing all the obscurations. I'm purifying all the negativity of all beings everywhere. As I'm cleaning my countertop, all obscurations, removing all fear, all anxiety, of all beings everywhere. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Isn't that beautiful way of being, right? Everything we, could do, we do, we could do it for others, right? And in this is we're doing it for ourselves, so we can never forget this, for ourselves and all beings. May I reach enlightenment for myself and all beings, right? But this day-to-day existence, when we live like this, how does it feel? Right? In that moment, we can be a Buddha. Right? We're just connecting these moment to moment, these one moment to the next moment. But they say when we act like this, even for a moment, we're a Buddha in that moment. Because we are a Buddha. There's no way to get around it. But now we recognize it. We recognize how we're all connected and we feel it. And it's really transforming, right? It's, this is the, these heart practices, the mind practices. Mm-hmm. And so the, the first five of the six perfections is, is accumulating, they say, accumulating the merit. And then the sixth one is wisdom. And this is like the realization of it. And again, we can see this in the Eightfold Path. It's very similar. And so when we transform, you know, our hearts, we're transforming our minds just moment to moment and just wiping, wiping clear, you know, this window that's been obscured, you know, so we can look out and say, oh, here I am, you know, so clearly. But what's neat about this is about this living it. And so it's really important, you know, to have right meditation, right concentration. You know, meditative concentration is the one, again, same thing with the six perfections. Yet, same thing with the Eightfold Path. We have the sila. We have the ethics. 
And I know sometimes it's, it's difficult because we emphasize so much because we're so out of touch with sitting in silence. This is so important to emphasize sitting silent meditation. But the first one here, well, generosity, patience. We also have to cultivate a practice of generosity and patience. We have to cultivate a practice of generosity and patience. Like we cultivate our meditation practice. Like we're scheduled to do it as top of mind. Like I know that I need to sit and be still to really look within. I know that. But we also know we have to be patient. We have to be kind. It has to be top of mind. Sophie Rinpoche tells this funny story. Well, it's kind of funny. You decide it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, uh, he said, you know, in Tibet, even though we're taught, you know, kindness, kindness, he says, actually in Tibet, when he was, you know, young, that if somebody did something to you, did something, you know, harmful or yell at you or something, if you didn't stand up for yourself and kind of fight back, you know, you would look down upon, you know. He said, even though this is not, you know, the teachings, but you really had to stick up for yourself and, and fight back. He says, but then when I escaped and I was in India, he said, I was with a lot of really great practitioners. He says, and then some were still very angry. And he says, there was one angry uh, monk. He says, also, this is a very kind monk. And the kind monk said something that made the angry monk angry. (laughs) (laughs) And the angry monk yelled at him, and he took this piece of wood and hit him on the head with it. The nice monk, the kind monk, hit him on the head. And... The kind monk looked at him and he says, oh, and he like everybody says, as he, was, he stayed as soft as cotton. And he said, oh, dear one, he said, thank you for hitting me on the head <laughs> because I'm practicing patience. <laughs> and if you didn't hit me on the head, then I couldn't practice my patience. And one of the, there's a few different ways we practice patience, and one of them is practicing patience with people that harm you, mm-hmm. right? And looking at them like a precious jewel. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody harms you, this is the first thing, is to look at them like, a, like you found a precious, mm-hmm. precious gem, right? Because they are hurting very badly. This is for sure. You know that they're hurting very badly. So looking at them like a precious gem. So he says, you know, I'm practicing this, <coughs> And of course, just to listen, obviously you have to use your wisdom not to let people hit you in the head <laughs> all the time, right? But do it so with a compassionate heart, but to look at him like this. But see, the monk was practicing patience. And he says, oh, I'm practicing patience. Right? So it was top of mind for him to practice this skill. This six, one of the six perfections of being, that he could have patience. So it's, again, something to be cultivated into our practice. And I know I've told this many times, but I, it's such an unbelievable story. I'll, I'll tell it again here, but just about this patience, about um, Gardner Rinpoche being imprisoned for 19 years by the Chinese, and him talking to the Dalai Lama and saying, he said, how was it? Was it, Dalai Lama says, was it really dangerous? He says, oh, dangerous, very dangerous. He says, um, on two accounts, it was 
extremely dangerous because on two accounts, I almost lost compassion for my captors. Mm. I almost lost compassion on two occasions. And the danger is that we could fall, he could have fell, fell back into delusion thinking that we're not all connected, that, he, that his captors aren't perfect Buddhas that have been, that are in delusion with fear and anxiety and forgetting their own Buddha nature. Right? And again, with wisdom mind, we have to know when we have to, with compassion, stick up for ourselves, for, for, our, for ourselves and, of, of course, for their karmas too. So the first one is generosity. And um, there's three aspects of generosity, too. The one we know of, I think, for, first of all, with generosity, the most important part is our motivation, our motivation with generosity. We have to have pure motivation. So we're not doing it uh, first for something in return, just for the benefit of others. And so the first type of generosity is to give material things. If people need something, it's always nice to give something in the car for those who, who need it. Always nice. Always keep something, keep a jack, keep jackets or keep some money, keep, keep something. I think I told last time I didn't have anything. I saw a homeless person, so I just gave him my hand sanitizer. I said, I don't have any money, so I, but I have hand sanitizer. Or I was just uh, on my jog. I was just jogging, and I had to run errands, so I combined them, and I ran to Rite Aid. Mm-hmm. And I got toothpaste and some other stuff. And somebody, and then I was running back home, and I saw this young man laying down next to a basketball court, you know. And um, I asked him if he's okay, you know, and, and then I said, well, I don't have any money, but I have toothpaste. Because <laughs> I just got toothpaste. Do you want some toothpaste? He said, no. I said, okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's always nice just to have something, you know, just to have something to give, right, for others. The next thing is to give loving protection. And this is so important, loving protection. And what, this, what they mean by that is we all have fears and anxieties and concerns. And if we could soothe each other, this is very important. And to keep in mind that we are fragile beings. You know, we really are. And we don't know what other people have experienced in their life. And we might be very kind of callous to a certain situation, and it might not mean much to us, but there's others that might be very sensitive. So we have to be really, really careful. And we could soothe each other with the generosity of, of loving protection. And this is creating a safe space for people. And this could be in a way you speak to them, you know, the way that you, you act around them, creating a really safe space around, around them, loving protection. And I see a lot of this too, at least when I think of loving protection, of just 
right speech, allowing somebody to think that they're not gonna, going to be judged. I think this is so important because we just feel judged by ourselves, by society, about fitting in, about this and that. And even sometimes, it's not to take the fun out of life, but sometimes we kind of jab each other. You know, sometimes we have like little words like, we just kind of jab each other and it's play. But if we really don't know somebody, if like it's a really good friend, you know how sometimes you could really jab each other good, and which is kind of fine if you know somebody. But be really careful, you know, with our words. And then another form of generosity is to give loving understanding. And, and what it means in this context is that if you have a little bit of wisdom on something, then it's our duty to share it, right? So if you learned a little bit, especially experientially in your practice, then it's very generous to share it, right? If you can relieve suffering through knowledge, through wisdom, through sitting practice, you know, if you cultivated a little bit of patience, then maybe share it. So this is, this is very generous. Also share books that you like. I usually have on hand like if it's a book I like, maybe many of you do this because you, you give it away and you keep buying it and you just keep giving it away. It's awesome, you know. Yeah. And like especially like I think, well, I don't know, I don't have a lot of wisdom, I don't have a lot of experiential wisdom, but I know a lot of beautiful teachers that do, so I could give people their books, right? Or I could refer people to, you know, come and sit where we all, like, we're all sharing, like, today. We're all learning from each other's beautiful wisdom, so we could, we could extend generosity like that. Sometimes when we have a so certain group of people, and we're like, man, this is such, this is so fun, we have our little certain group of people, this is fantastic. Sometimes we think, ah, oh, if we bring somebody else in, it's gonna change the dynamic or something like this. We have to really be generous. If something's good happening in our life, share it. So, I'm running out of time. I, uh, <laughs> I talked too much the first part. Because um, I want to do a little meditation on this. Um, and I think that I can go through, there's a lot of, of different aspects when we kind of go through formal aspects of generosity, of patience, like how to be patient, how to be kind, um, how to be generous, how to be disciplined. Um, and what is discipline? And this is discipline in our, you know, not only in our practice, but our discipline in being kind. And again, this bodhisattva action of becoming enlightened for the benefit of all beings. So it's being disciplined in our ability to be kind. Like, not only was that teacher practicing patience when he was getting hit on the head, but he was practicing discipline of kindness. You know? And so I could, I'm going to continue this um, next time I talk, and we can go into greater detail, but I want to go ahead and do a meditation because I think that our basic understanding of what it means to be patient and generous and discipline applies. Just coming into a comfortable meditative or meditative position. 
just want to do a little guided meditation. Just start by just thinking of generosity. Maybe thinking of a time that you were generous to someone. If somebody was generous to you. And the Bodhisattva spirit, maybe visualize just walking through your day with the intention of being generous to all beings, including yourself. Moving through your day with a sense of generosity for all beings. Giving material things, loving protection. Giving of wisdom. We had impatience. And you continue to walk through your day, whether it be at work, at home, with your partner, your child, children, your pets, those difficult people in your life, those amazing, beautiful people in your life. A flavor of patience. 
And adding in, finally, a discipline. And it's not this type A personality discipline. I have to be hard on myself. But it's more of a commitment to kindness. It's discipline and kindness. Especially for yourself. I must be kind to myself and all beings. I need to speak up or stick up for myself or be wrathful, for example, with somebody for their benefit. I do so with a compassionate heart. And before we throw an arrow, we must dip it, dip the arrow in much loving kindness. So it lands with great compassion always from this place of compassion. And then lastly, just dropping the visualization and just checking in on how you would feel or maybe how you feel right now, just walking through your day like this. So to finish, you can keep your eyes closed and I'm going to read a teaching from the teacher once again. An effortless compassion can arise for all beings who have not realized their true nature. So limitless is it that if tears could express it, you would cry without end. Not only compassion, but tremendous skillful means can be born when you realize the nature of mind. Also, you are naturally liberated from all suffering and fear. Then, if you were to speak of the joy and bliss that arise from this realization, it is said by the Buddhas that if you were to gather all the glory, enjoyment, pleasure, and happiness of the world and put it all together, it would not approach one tiny fraction of the bliss that you experience 
upon realizing the nature of mind. have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.